The following content is provided to you as a ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a high-adventure Christian wilderness camp in Andrews, North Carolina. Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters exist to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through the exposition of Scripture and personal relationships in order to equip the church to impact this generation. For more information, visit our website at swoutfitters.com or follow us on Twitter using the handle at SnowbirdSwo. Enjoy the message. All right. Hey, we're going to get started. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the necessity of truth. I know that that kind of sounds redundant, but in the culture that we live in right now, this is a big deal. In fact, what we were talking about last night is that we you know if we're going to hold on to truth, we need to actually know what truth is and how do we understand truth? How do we, how do we know what is truth and is truth consistent? So we're going to talk through just, um, we're going to talk about different theories of truth and different ways of understanding what truth is. And then I want to talk about some practical concerns and ways that this affects us, all right? I want to start off at two passages of Scripture. Um, in John eight thirty one. Jesus says this. He says, uh, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's a, that's a, this is a big deal, right? And I, and I think specifically... You know, he's talking to Jews who had believed in him, who are now understanding him as the Messiah, as the fulfillment of Judaism, and that this is truth. Now, for our culture, we're, I mean, we're going to get into this. In our culture, we want to say that whatever you believe is true for you, right? Whatever you, whatever you if it works for you, that's true. But the problem is that is unrealistic and impossible and it is, by, it is necessarily contradictory, all right? So we're going to talk about that. And then, and then uh, John eighteen thirty three. you guys are all familiar with this also, when Jesus is before Pilate. And Pilate, you know, kind of wants to let Jesus go, but he's giving in to the pressure of the crowd. He, uh, Pilate, this is uh, John eighteen thirty three. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? You know, like he's just, he, you can tell he's just exasperated. Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? <laughs> Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is on the side of truth listens to my voice. And then it's super sobering because Pilate answered and says, what is truth? Right? And, I, and this, I think, is a perfect illustration of the culture that we live in right now. People are asking what is truth, and they want an answer. And we're, we're, so easy, we're so easily drawn to something that's flashy and attractive or that, that fills some sort or a little bit of this satisfaction inside us. Because, you know, every one of us, and, and of, of course, from, as a Christian, I believe that we're all created in the image of God for a relationship with this creator. And that just like a guy named Blaise Pascal said, he was just an old guy, he talked about how there was a God-shaped vacuum inside of each and every one of us, that every one of us is longing to be a part of something that's bigger than ourselves, to connect with something meaningful. And so every one of us is asking, man, what is truth? Because we want something to latch onto. And it's, 
And the object that you're latching onto is just as important as the action of latching, right? We need to latch onto something that is true. And what I want to say now is that I, I talked to this a little bit last night, but I really believe that Christianity provides the only framework that makes life livable. The only framework, the only frame, a worldview way of thinking that makes sense of the world in which we live in is Christianity. I believe that. And I believe that because it's true. And what's crazy is that for a lot of you, you've been around Christians who they're Christians because that's what their culture has led them to believe. Like they grew up in a Christian home and they went to church. So they say, I'm a Christian. And if you'd ask them, if you grew up in the Middle East and were in a Muslim home, would you be a Muslim? And they say, yeah, probably. Right. But we need, we can't just accept it that we have to ask these questions. We need to find out what is truth and latch on to that. There's a guy uh, who I really loved I uh, still do. He's not alive anymore, so I can still love him, right? His name's Francis Schaefer. He was a writer. And he said this. this he wrote a book. He's written a bunch of books, but he wrote a book called uh, The God Who Is There, which is great. And he says this. In face of this modern nihilism, which is like a worldview that's everything is going towards destruction. There, you know, there is no God. We have no real meaning, no purpose. It says, in the face of this modern nihilism, Christians are often lacking in courage. We tend to give the impression that we will hold on to the outward forms of Christianity, whatever happens, even if God is really not there. Like, okay, do you guys, have you guys seen people like that? They're just like, man, I'm just going to hold on to this. People ask them things that question their faith. Like, I'm not even going to, I'm not going to deal with that. I don't want to doubt. I'm just going to hold on tighter to this. He says, but the opposite ought to be true of us so that people can see that we demand the truth of what is there. And they were not dearly, uh, dealing merely with platitudes, right? We should, Christians, should have a commitment, not just to Christianity, but to the truth. He says this, in other words, it should be understood that we take this question of truth so seriously that if God were not there, we would be among the first of those who had the courage to step out of the line. And that my challenge for you is do you believe in, do you have such a commitment to the truth that you're going to follow it wherever it leads? Because just like what we talked about last night, and we talked about this morning, there's so many of people who have sat in your seats, and many who have come through this ministry, who've worked on staff, who have been invested in and investing in others, who they didn't, who, who were holding on to the outward forms of Christianity. And when it got difficult, realized, I don't really believe this. And they've abandoned that. And so at the beginning of, as we talk through this, you need to have a commitment to the truth and you need to follow that truth wherever it leads. And I promise you that leads to the gospel that leads to the truths of Christianity, because I believe wholeheartedly it is the only way to make sense of the world in which we live in. You know, Brody mentioned this. uh, He talked about that liar, lunatic Lord talking about Jesus, right? That uh, C.S. Lewis talked about how in in a mere Christianity, he talked about how that Jesus either had to be a liar he had to be out of his mind, and he said on the same level as a poached egg. Yeah, crazy, right? He's either a liar, he's lunatic, or he's God. He's who he said he was. And it's easy for us to kind of think that about Jesus. But remember, if you're going to, if you're going to deconstruct Christianity and get rid of Jesus, you also have to get rid of every Christian that's ever been 
and say that everybody who's been a Christian has either been dumb, right? Deceived or a deceiver. You see what I'm saying? Because at one point you can step back and be like, well, maybe Jesus wasn't who he says he was. Okay, now you have to take all of these people that history has lauded with their, um, their accomplishments, both philosophically, scientifically, and intellectually, mathematically, and you have to say they're idiots. That's what you have to do. If they, if they follow Jesus, you have to say, oh, they were, they're dumb, deceived, or, de- or, or they're deceivers themselves. So it's a big deal. All right, so let's think through. Um, I'm going to look at, there's three different theories of truth, three different um, really definitions of what truth is. The first one is one that is, uh, this has been accepted up until pretty much the 50s or 60s. It's called the correspondence theory of truth. Uh, we're going to get a little nerdy here for a while, and then I promise I'll get right practical again in like six minutes. So first is the correspondence theory of truth. That means that a statement is true if it actually corresponds to the world, right? If it corresponds to reality, this is true. Now, most of us were like, yeah, that, that's what makes sense. But with the rise of post-modernity, like in the 50s and 60s, and now has really spread throughout the academic world, then w- what's happened is we haven't uh, defined truth as if it corresponds to reality, but we've chosen, chosen one, of two other, one of two other options. The first one is, uh, is the pragmatic understanding of truth, the pragmatic theory of truth, and that is something is true if it works, right? If this works, then it's true. See how this is uh, like postmodern, it's relativistic because it's subjective. Like, well, this works for me, so it must be true. The problem with that, now, pragmatic might be a good like test of truth, but it can't be the foundation of truth because there's some things that just work, but they're not based on truth. You know, like I think about when my kids were younger, um, if they were, you know, hiding or if they were scared, you know, they're covering their face right? As if that had something to do with it. Okay. Yeah. Anytime someone's trying to attack me, I had to cover my face. Now, will that work sometimes? Yeah. Because there were times where I was trying to find my kids and I couldn't find them, but it's not because they magically hid by covering their face. It wasn't, it wasn't, there wasn't a causal relationship there, right? So pragmatic can't be your standard for truth, but that's what people are trying to say today. We need to fight that, right? The other is, uh, is a coherence view of truth. Coherence means as long as my views don't contradict themselves, then they're true. Well, that's also, it might be a good test for truth, but it can't be the foundation because there are sets of beliefs that don't contradict, but also make no sense in the world in which we live in. They do not correspond to reality. So the first thing for us is that if we're going to, if we're going to fight for truth and we need to know what truth is, we need to have a solid understanding of what is truth. And something is true if it corresponds to reality. In fact, if you are trying to try to sneak into this pragmatic or coherence understanding of truth, you're actually assuming the correspondence theory of truth by saying that that's, that those are the standards of truth. I know that was a little too much. Do you see what I'm saying? Does that make sense? That if you're, if you're saying that the course, that the coherence or the pragmatic understanding of truth corresponds to reality, you're assuming a correspondence view of truth. Anyway, so moving on, because there's also what we, what we need to get at and I think spe- specifically with Christianity and as we evaluate world, uh, world views and belief systems, what we're trying to get at is something called justified true belief. Justified true belief. Is it a belief? Yes. And is that belief true? And then, then you have to ask the question, but why? What justifies that? All right. And the reason why it's important for us to understand this right now is because for most of you, you are living in a, an environment where it's okay to follow Jesus. You're just, I mean, you're here, right? 
which means that most of you are part of a group of Christians who, are, who claim to be Christians, and it's okay. It's not offensive in your little environment. But if you step outside of that, you need to welcome people asking you the question, why? We need to welcome that. In fact, what's fascinating is that you have the right to ask other people why also. And I want to challenge you guys. For a lot of you, especially like if you're, if you're like me, I grew up in a Christian home and I was given a lot of Christianity, a lot of truths, and I got really insecure when people would say, well, why do you believe that? Why do you believe Jesus is God? And I felt like then there were times where people would tell me I was stupid for believing that, and I didn't know how to answer that. And it's okay to, 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 for people to ask you that and for you to say, you know what? You've come up with something that I don't have an answer for. Well, search it out. And, and then if you feel confident in what you believe, you can ask people, well, why don't you believe in Jesus? Right? Because according to this understanding, like a belief is, is right for you, to, for you to hold if it's true and if it's justified, then every grown-up individual, every person needs to know what they believe and they need to have a justification for it. Right? And so there's different ways in which we justify um, our true belief. One is, you know, through sense experience, right? With the evidence, right? So we, we'll look and we say, oh, this is the world in which we live in. This is justifying what I'm believing about that. The next is reason, whether or not logically and logically consistency comes into it. And then also with revelation. These are, these are sources of knowledge, um, evidence, reason, and revelation. And revelation takes two different forms. We talked last night about natural theology. This is what, what we can learn from this. Uh, natural theology is a, is, a, is a belief system based on natural revelation. How has God revealed himself in Scripture? For an, evidence, uh, for an example of that, look in Romans chapter 1 where God will tell us that ever since the creation of the world, these things have been manifest from the things that have been made, namely God's eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen from the things that have been made so that men are without excuse. That if you look at the natural world, that it's going to show you something about God. There's a lot, and we talked about last night, things you can learn from that, but then also, ultimately, we have special revelation. This is God speaking specifically to us, one, through Jesus, and then also through the Word of God. All right, so when we're thinking through these, especially last night, we talk about these uh, contradictory narratives. We need to ask ourselves, are they true? And every truth claim needs to be subjected to the same, to the same way of thinking, right? We can ask the same question specifically, ask the question, why? This is a really big deal. And for most of you, you need, if you are dealing with these types of doubts, these questions, you need to ask that right now. You need to deal with these hard questions now. Ask why. So it's moving on. Let's talk about some practical concerns. All right. Practically, everyone is making truth claims. Everyone. Anytime you say something that has meaning, you are making a truth claim. You're appealing to some sort of truth, and you're saying that that's true about the world in which we live in. And this is where it's really confusing to me, because even in the academic world, in so many ways, we've, we've succumbed to relativism. But again, where people are saying, oh, relativism is true. Do you see the problem with that? Right? You can't say that relativism is true. Because if you're saying that relativism is true, then you're making an absolute standard. Right? You're saying not only that it's true, it corresponds to the world in which we live in, but it also applies to everyone. Well, that's not relativism. That's absolutism. And so when, when our culture is saying, oh, well, there are no absolute truths, that needs to, you need to ask, well, first off, why? 
and then say, does that apply to me? And does that apply to everyone? If so, that's absolute. It's the same thing with morality. You know, our, our culture, again, wants to try to say, my morality is all as me. I get to choose my morality. Whatever's right for me is right, is right for me. You have, no, you have no way of saying anything about that. Well, that's not true because it necessarily affects other people. You're imposing your morality on someone else. Anytime you make a moral statement, if you say this is right, this is wrong, then you are elevating above yourself and you're applying it to everyone else. All right, so moving on. Uh, as, and then as we think through more practical issues, one is the, the nature, the nature of, uh, of truth claims. Everyone is making truth claims. Secondly, I want to talk about gender fluidity. Right? This, is a big, um, this is a big issue in our culture right now because what we're trying to do is we're trying to relativize morality. And we're even saying that we have the ability to be gender fluid. Right? You get to determine your gender. The problem with that is that gender is something that is necessarily determined biologically. And as believers, this, these are conversations that we're having where people are trying to say, well, you know what? I've got this friend or this relative, and they, their preferred gender pronoun is she, even though they're a biological man. But what I want to do is I want to love them well, so I'm going to conform to their gender pronoun so that I can love them well and share the gospel. Now, that sounds great. Doesn't that sound great? Yeah, because you're respecting their decision. No, what you're doing is you are lying to them. You're lying. You're using a term to mean the contrary to what it is. And so the question you have to ask yourself is at what point can you lie to someone enough to show them that you love them? See the issue? Because then what? So suppose you say, yeah, I'm going to lie to you. And I'm going to say, you're living a deception. You're believing a lie that you are this gender when you're not that gender. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lie to you. And then I want to share you the gospel. And then what? And then afterwards say, oh yeah, and by the way, n- now you need to believe all truths, even the truths about yourself. It's not loving. I mean, on a really simplistic level with my children, I've got four kids and we've never let them believe that Santa Claus existed. And the reason for that is because I don't want to lie to my children. Especially, I don't want to lie to my kids about somebody who's all-knowing and can tell if they're right or wrong that they need to live for. (laughs) See the problem? I don't want to do a bait and switch and be like, oh, yes, yeah, Santa Claus, he's watching you. He's everywhere. But he's not real. But Jesus is. Right? I don't want to establish with my children a, d- a pattern of lying for their good. I'm not going to do that. Is that the pattern you want to extend to someone? Oh, you can believe whatever you want. And I'm going to affirm that so that I can tell you the truth. See the problem? We're moving on. What about religious pluralism? We live in a culture where everybody, there are, there, are, there are thousands of belief systems and religions represented in our culture. And so what our culture wants to say is, this is my religion. I can choose what I believe. This is my religion. And that all religions can be different paths to God. Doesn't that sound great? And doesn't that sound good and loving? You should affirm that. You should affirm that's their truth. 
Well, the problem with that is that every religion makes exclusive truth claims. Everyone. Do you understand that? Every religion makes exclusive truth claims. You might be like, well, what about Hinduism? Hinduism believes in like millions of gods. Surely that can fit all the other religions underneath it. Okay, well, let's do a thought experiment. Suppose you're a Hindu and you say, I believe that all religions are okay. All religions are good and they lead to truth. And I say, oh, good. So does that mean that you acknowledge the truth of Christianity? And they'll say, oh, yes. Christianity is true, so is Hinduism. And I say the problem with that is that Christianity has this person in the center of it named Jesus. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In fact, one of, one of the guys writing afterwards said, there's no other name under heaven whereby someone can be saved other than Jesus. So Christianity rules out Hinduism. Hinduism says there's millions of gods. Well, so Hinduism can't accept Christianity because they are necessarily contradictory. And every time you say something, every time you make a statement, you are making an exclusive truth claim. That's the nature of truth. To say something is true is to say anything that contradicts it is false. That's just logic 101. So when we talk about religious pluralism, it's not good, it's not loving to say you can believe whatever you want, which moves into the next thing is tolerance. Right, you hear, we hear tolerance a lot in our culture today, and what's happened is we've changed the definition of what tolerance means. Because tolerance has the idea of, you know, the other word we get from this is to tolerate, right? You tolerate, you, you, you can kind of put up with it, it's okay, right? So like with, with, uh, with different religions, we respect the right for people to believe whatever religion they want. They have that right, but that doesn't, mean and it's true. Do you see that? Do you see the difference? There's a huge difference. You have to understand this because what our uh, traditionally our culture was, yeah, we have tolerance with each other because I'm a Christian, someone's a Muslim, someone's an atheist, we can do business with each other, we can have respect for each other's beliefs. That's tolerance. But we can't take it a step further and say, yes, you can have whatever religion you want and it's right. Because again, we're accepting a contradictory view of the world. We can't do that. If it contradicts itself, it's not true. And then two more things we'll look at. One, we talked about a little bit last night, but this cancel culture that we live in, specifically the way that social media has become the uh, social media has become the litmus test of what you can say in public. Isn't that crazy? I mean, regardless of your uh, political affiliations, this past year. We got to see something that shouldn't happen. We got to see a CEO of a private computer organization be more powerful than the president of the United States. What? Yeah, because he controlled his words. Oh, you want to say this? Canceled. And that's intimidating. Especially, even if, man, if, if, even if you're using social media as a platform for the gospel, right? If, it's, if, you're, if you're using it as a platform for the gospel, you have to have that platform to use it for the gospel. But you can't allow intimidation to keep you from saying the truth. Proverbs 29 t- says, uh, somewhere near the end, it says, Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but those who put their trust in the Lord are kept safe. Man, we... We can't be afraid of what man is going to say. We can't be afraid of that. We can't conform our words to try to make them appealing to a culture that is abandoning the gospel. 
You can't do that. And the last thing, we talked about this a little bit last night also, when we think about with uh, CRT and intersectionality, which is really popular in our culture right now, and we need to realize that those, that, that way of thinking holds a contrary understanding of truth. Because with the, following the logic of intersectionality is that the, the only people that actually realize the truth of what's happening are the people who are the absolute most oppressed. And they're the ones who get to determine what's right or wrong. In fact, and there's, there's no end to it. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about um, race or gender or orientation or presentation, it doesn't matter. There's n- there's never, you're never going to find someone who has, has the most intersections, that they're the ones who are going to be able to give us an accurate picture of the world in which we live in. What this is doing is it, it's embracing a super relativistic way of thinking called standpoint epistemology. That sounds super nerdy. Epistemology is the way that we come to know things, how we know something. And standpoint epistemology means that that the truth is determined by your view of the world. That's never true, right? We, that, that, that's, that's inconsistent and necessarily contradictory because each one of us views the world in a different way. And so we can't, so what the only logical way to follow that out is there's just one person who has the most intersections of oppression and they're the ones who can tell all of us what the world, the world in which we live in actually appears. That's crazy. So for us, what we need to do is, I'm going to challenge you with this, is that we need to think critically. What is it that we believe? How is it that we justify actual knowledge? And be, don't be afraid to ask the question why. Don't be afraid to ask the question why to yourself. And don't be afraid to ask the question why to other people. Because if we're not operating on a basis of truth corresponding to reality, then there's no context for the sharing of the gospel. Do you understand that? The gospel, the context where we can share the gospel is a context in which truth corresponds to reality because it, it is not just a truth claim, it is the truth claim. And it's the truth claim that gives meaning to the rest of the world in which we live in. And we can't, we can't, we can't succumb to that. So like we talked about last night, what we talked about this morning, both in Colossians and Ephesians, he says, don't just get sucked in to every wind and wave of doctrine. Don't just get pushed around by these human schemes, right? We want to put our faith and our trust in the God who is there and who can tell us the nature of reality because he is our creator, right? The rest, the problem is that we are going to accept something that's counterfeit. And we, I wanna, and, uh, and we need to echo what Francis Schaeffer said. We need to have such a commitment to the truth that we're going to follow it wherever it leads. And I give you my word, man, the truth is going to lead to Jesus. That's, I mean, at the end of the day, that's where, that's where we put our faith, we put our hope, because it's true. Not because we, we grew up in this environment, not because we're culturally Christian, but we need to put our faith and our trust in Jesus because this is true, this gospel is true.